All right. Well, good morning. I hope that you had a good week. It's good to see you guys. I can actually say that this week since I was here last week, and that little repetition is good. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel like, all right, let's get into the groove again. And those types of repetitions are important in our life. You know, as we come to the Word today, we're going to continue to understand purpose and what that means as a church, what that means individually as followers of Jesus. Um, and part of that purpose is knowing our identity. So just a quick kind of question to get our minds moving this morning. How have you been introduced in your lifetime? It's kind of a, a vague question. But you know, maybe you have, usually by your name, maybe you have nicknames that people have called you. Maybe you have earned different titles or positions or designations behind your name. Do you ever use those? Reflect on those a little bit. You know, only reflect on the nice ones, you know, because being a mischievous teaser, I've been called quite a lot of different names, well-deserved in some areas. But just reflect on those nice ones. Think about what people call you. You know, when I reflect on names and titles and how you introduce yourself, I, I go to movies usually. You know, if I were to say, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You know, you can maybe finish that line. Or you think of one of my favorite ones in terms of introducing somebody. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. General of the Armies of the North, General of the Felix Legions, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. You know, famous emotional, dramatic quote from the movie Gladiator. When you think of how you are introduced, when you think of different titles, what do people call you? How do you introduce yourself? For me, I have different titles, I have different names. Officially, officially, I'm ordained as a reverend, but I don't encourage people to ever call me reverend. Normally, people call me Pastor Kurt, PK, Big K, Kurt. Uh, one of my favorite ones was Batman. Uh, I was subbing in seventh grade class in Ohio, and the kids thought my R looked like a T, so they just started calling me Batman, and that stuck. It's a good one. But then you think about the other titles or positions that you might hold as a father, a son, a daughter, a wife, sister, brother, dad, a mother. And then you break it down further. How do the people in the community, how do the people in your neighborhood know you? Do your neighbors know your name? Do people in the community know who I am outside of the title pastor? Do they know that I am a lover of Jesus instead? As a believer, how do people identify you? Do they identify you as a saint, as a faithful brother and sister in Christ? You know, it's kind of interesting sometimes when you think about how you want to be identified and how people actually identify. So as we come today to start our deeper dive into Colossians, we're going to talk a little bit about identity as we talk about purpose. We're going to talk about um, some of the things that Paul starts off with in his letter. 
I hope that you had a little bit of time this week to reread the book of Colossians, maybe make some notes and ask some questions. But as we read the first eight verses today, I will invite you to stand and then we'll pray after I'm done reading. So if you stand as you're able as we read God's word today. Beginning in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, as we go to your word today, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord, that you would continue to give us wisdom and understanding of the beauty of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. may have a seat. All right, so now when we look at this passage, we might think that it's just a normal salutation, it's customary, it's repetitive, in the same way that I repeat how I... bring us into the sermon time. And it is. It's very repetitive in terms of how Paul's style is for how he opens the letters. And sometimes because we see repetition, because we see something being the same, we can just look over it and we can dismiss it because that's just what he says in all of the other letters. But as we do that, we can miss some of the beauty that he is exposing just in these first eight verses. Um, Now, we could go verse by verse and pull out some of the key words today um, and focus on those things, but I think that we would be here for quite a while. So what we're going to do is try to break down a couple of verses at a time um, and try to highlight the main points within those verses as we're going through. Again, trying to go a little bit deeper. So starting off, what we're seeing here is identity being given. Paul starts off with his authority that he is writing to this letter to the people as an apostle of Christ. Now, calling himself an apostle is not placing him in a certain class of people as an office holder, as we might view the 12, for instance, right? When we think of apostle, generally, we think of the 12 apostles. We think of those that walked with Jesus here on the earth. But we see how Paul uses this title in a lot of his letters. Why does he use this title? You know, he uses this title because it is part of authority, and it's where he finds his commission coming from God. You know, in Galatians, the first verse starts off this way, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father. Okay, so the title apostle in the Greek just means one who is sent with a message, one who is sent with a special decree, usually from the king. 
And in this sense, it is the king of kings that he is getting, giving this message from, where he is receiving this message, the gospel message from. So there's also an element of leadership within the term apostle. So it brings about this authority. And notice how he says an apostle of Christ. One of the things that Paul does is he attributes everything back to Christ. And we want to take notice of that because in his writings, he's constantly directing the reader back to God, back to the truth. Um, but we see this little identity piece, this title that is being given by Paul. And then look at what he does in the next verse. See what he calls the audience. In verse 2, he says, saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Okay, so we always want to keep in mind the audience of who Paul is talking to. Okay, so he is talking to believers. Um, in many of his letters, who he is writing to are those who are in Christ. It's a very important phrase that we have to hold on to, especially when we get to some of the harder sections, such as the warnings that he's given about being led astray. You know, a lot of times we might assume that he's talking to those that aren't faithful, to those that are lost, or to those that are, yeah, you're just lukewarm or wishy-washy. Here he identifies to the saints, the holy ones, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, to the believers. But we also want to see that there's a, tender, a tenderness, an intimacy, a warmth that's being expressed in the language that is used here in terms of the term brother. And then you look up, um, he uses that term for the believers and also for Timothy. Again, expressing this closeness, this family orientation in terms of how he is writing. Again, bringing in more identity, more purpose. And the church needs to remember this family orientation of being the body, of being concerned with the well-being of other members. You know, in a family, you think about sacrifices that are made for one another, what you do for each other. There's a bond. There's something that goes above and beyond to do for others that shouldn't be overlooked. And it brings about a sense of gratitude, a sense of thankfulness, a sense of unity. You know, you think about our family here at Harvest. You know, I look at the typical salutation that's given in these letters, and I'm challenged. You know, in my, in my prayers, in, in my heart for each one of you this morning, is there this same tenderness? You know, is it to identify you as a saint or a faithful brother and sister in Christ? Not to identify you by your, your title or what you do for the church or what you can do for me to make my job easier or how much money you give. Is my first impression to you a faithful brother and sister in Christ? And it might be easy as we have a certain degree of separation you know, where maybe we see each other once a month or twice a month on Sundays, once a week maybe. But we also are a nice rural community where we have a lot of family members here. And you think about family and you think about those that can push your buttons, those that can get under your skin, those that can drive you mad at times. Do you still view them as a faithful brother and sister in Christ? even when they are angering you. You know, that brother who hits you in the head because it's Tuesday. Is she still a sister in Christ or is she just your wife that you're having problems with? What is the perspective of how we view 
one another? Do we view each other in a selfish way of what we can get or a unified way of being in the same family under Christ? Do we view people in a way that is not full of bitterness, but rather full of the grace and the forgiveness that we have received? I think it's a different perspective that we need reminders of frequently in terms of how we're interacting with one another, how we're encouraging one another. But again, I love Paul's opening in his letters because he reminds us that we all belong to Christ. To him first, we've been called, and we are being faithful to that calling of what Christ calls us to. You know, the word is where we go to find the truth. The word tells us, gives us our identity as saints, as holy ones, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that other person, not the enemy who's trying to depress you and to say all these negative things and create anxiety and fear in your life. You know, we're all human, yes, we all make mistakes, but that's not an excuse to continue to live like a jerk but one where we can humbly come to Christ knowing the grace and peace that has been given to us and then live accordingly to the identity given to us by God. And Paul, again, continually reaffirms this for his audience. Now within the next section, beginning in verse three, a lot of Bibles might have the heading Thanksgiving and Prayer. You know, but really when you look at the Colossians book as a whole, there's a lot of thanksgiving that's going on, not just in this section. Yeah, you have it in verse 3, but it's also in verse 12. In chapter 2, verse 7. In chapter 3, near the end, verses 15, 16, and 17. In chapter 4, verse 2. So again, it's a book filled with thanksgiving, filled with gratitude. So we want to be able to see that and pick that out as we're reading through. And he is expressing gratitude for them and what they're doing. He's rejoicing in their testimony. I mean, it's such a good thing, you know. And you got to remember, too, Paul has never met these people, right? You look down in verse 7, Epaphras is their connection. Epaphras is the one who, who took the gospel message from Paul in Ephesus and takes it to Colossae, his hometown, and spreads the gospel message. And people are coming to faith. And then as different situations come up, Epaphras is seeking out Paul for more wisdom, for more strength, um, and he goes and finds him. But you look and and you see that Epaphras being the connection, and you see how Paul is praying for them, right? See, there's many times where we might not know who all is praying for us. I can remember, you know, as we went through our situation, there was people from all over the country that we had no idea who they were that would reach out and say, hey, we're praying for you because we heard about this. There was pastors all over the district that were sharing the prayer requests in their own congregations that would reach out to Elaine, that would reach out to me and say, our congregation is praying for you. You know, as a pastor, I have a monthly meeting that meets in a dare uh, with a bunch of other pastors and we are frequently sharing different prayer requests. So you have people throughout this region, throughout the Midwest that are praying for you. Does that ever cross your mind? to think that other people might be praying for what you're going through. See, Epaphras had the concerns and the situations um, of the Colossian people, and he shares them with Paul. And Paul is reaching out to them through those prayer requests as an intercessor. You know, even though Epaphras might seem like he's doing a solo pastor type of job where he's doing ministry by himself, 
he's never truly alone because you're a part of the bigger body of Christ. Even though I'm just a solo pastor here, I'm still not alone in the ministry that I do because I have others that are coming alongside of me. I have you all that are co-laborers with me in the ministry. The enemy is going to try to tell you that you're alone. He's going to try to tell you that you're isolated, that you're on an island, but that is not the truth. You have brothers and sisters who are all praying for you. Another example of this that you might be able to touch base with, you think of our missionaries in the mission fields. Many of those people we will never meet, but yet we're praying for those concerns. Especially if you get the newsletters and you read those, um, you're able to see what our ministry partners are doing and how we are praying and lifting up those missionaries who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's always interesting to see how God is moving in different parts of the earth. And then what you see there in verse 3, as it starts off, it says, we always thank God. So it's more than just Paul. And I think part of that we um, is later identified in chapter 4 as he goes through a list of names of people that are either right beside him or that are co-laborers in different ministries. But again, there's, being, there's intercession that's being done on behalf of those in the Colossians. So part of the purpose is having our identity in Christ and being prayerful people. Now look at verses 4 and 5. Take a moment and look at those verses and tell me what you see. If you see something, shout it out. This is going to be a little bit engaging this morning. You should see a famous trio that's in there. Can you say a little bit louder, Lynn? It's okay. Faith, hope, and love. Right. You see, when you, when you look for those kinds of things, you see this in almost every single letter of Paul. Within like two or three verses of each other, he'll talk about faith, hope, and love. Again, he is celebrating their testimony. He is celebrating the fact that they have come to faith. And he is singling out these things. Now, an interesting fact from verses 3 through 8 in the Greek, it's all one sentence, which I find interesting because in English class, we learn not to have run-on sentences. But in the Greek, what this does is it unifies everything that he is talking about. He, it unifies and holds together all of those points. And I just learned another random fact the other night in Les Miserables. They have one sentence that is 828 words. Talk about run-ons, man. But you think about the purpose of doing that. So you look at how he is celebrating the testimony, and then we're going to look at the gospel message that he celebrates as well in the second half of this section. And he's tying and weaving all of these things together. And he is affirming their faith in Christ Jesus. He is thankful because he has heard of their love for all the saints and because of the hope that they laid up in heaven. Faith looks to the past, love looks to the present, and hope looks to the future. Faith is directed to Christ as, and, in, and is in Christ. Love is to and for the saints, and hope is the coming of the full salvation. These are intertwined in wonderful ways. Faith, hope, and love. And we see how Paul celebrates these things in these two verses. 
Now the second half of verse five and the rest of the section, he's gonna be talking about the gospel message. And there's two points that he is expressing here, that the gospel is universal and that the gospel is effective. That's what we wanna draw out from what he is saying because we remember that he is combating false teaching. And even in this salutation, even in this opening, he is setting up a contrast between the true gospel and the false teachings that are going on, okay? Um, He is encouraging the people to be filled with knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they can walk worthily in the Lord. The true gospel, the one that they have heard, the one that they have believed is universal. Whereas false teachings would be more local. They would be isolated to certain bodies, to an elite group that would hold on to the truth. And they don't share it freely. It's secretive. It's tradition. It's certain interpretations that is given through special means of knowledge or different circumstances. However, the true gospel is the same everywhere. And the fruit is effective. The effectiveness, the fruit is seen everywhere. Now, there might be a light exaggeration, as Paul says, that the gospel has already gone out to the whole world. It's spreading, for sure. Um, But the meaning of what he is writing behind that is the truth, to where the gospel and the truth of God will continue to spread as the people who are called by his name go and listen to the commands to go and make disciples in all nations. Because the people will find that they're not saved by studying the stars. They're not saved through being circumcised or baptized. They're not saved by denying of themselves in an aesthetic way to where they are self-torturing or they're being harder on their bodies. They're not saved by some special knowledge. They are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and through him alone. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. So I'm going to read kind of a larger section for context. I'm going to read beginning in verse 5. I'm going to go through 17. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith do not say, But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will send into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, if you focus in on verse 9, you look at how people are saved. So, when you read that, do you ever bristle? Do you ever have a, yeah, but what about this too? Or yeah, that's good, but there's also this area and they got to make sure they have this cleaned up or they have to do this too or they have to believe in this way. I mean, can it be so simple? Perhaps something to wrestle with. But then we see the divine grace of God coming through this passage. The calling of believers to take the gospel message to those who need to hear it. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I have kind of a moment of truth, a moment of conviction, a moment of accountability, and hopefully of encouragement for us this morning. Because sometimes I get up here and I can sound like, oh, you silly Christians who aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, it's true in different areas of our life for everyone. But I want this to be encouraging to us this morning. And the Lord is constantly working on my articulation and how I say things because I always want to get better. Um, But many times I present hard things in the form of a question to put you in a place to wrestle. Again, trying to shake comfort, trying to shake lukewarmness in our life to pursue our relationship with the Father. And you know, last week I... I had I shared my heart and my convictions in terms of having us bring our own Bibles to church, having us stand as we read the Word of God. Another conviction that's been placed in my heart is changing some of the language that we use, changing some of the metrics that maybe we use to measure things around church. What I mean by this is I want to get in the habit of asking the question, who have you shared the gospel with this week? Who have you shared the gospel with recently? Or who have you been discipling in your faith, in your life? I know as I say that, well, some of us can get scared pretty quick. What if I say something wrong? Trust in the Lord and grow through that experience. Because what's the, what's the consequence? What's the opposite if we're not sharing our faith? You know, if we're not sharing our faith because we're afraid and we like to stay in our comfort zones, then people who need to hear the gospel message won't hear the gospel message. And they are lost for eternity in hell. For what? For our comfort? When we have elder meetings, I usually start off with the guys with three different questions. I ask them where they're at in the word. What's God showing them in the word? And then I ask them, who are they investing in? Who have you shared the gospel with? Who are you bringing alongside? It's questions of accountability. And it's questions I think that we all need 
to be pushed in in our life. Because what happens is during our prayer and praise time, we have praises because, you know what, hey, I shared my faith this week with this person. Can you pray for them? It's, it's somebody that's never heard the gospel before, so it's just a, a seed. Or, you know, I've been working with my, my neighbor, and I've been watering for a while. I'm praying for a harvest to come soon. Because it shifts the mindset. And, you know, during our prayer and praise time, there's been people that have shared those types of events that have happened during that week on the job where they're sharing. And that encourages me, not as a pastor, but as a fellow believer, a fellow brother in Christ. Like, yeah, I need to get out there and do that better too. I need to get out there and spread this gospel message. Because what happens is we are more prone to share the gospel message when we understand the salvation that we've received and we're living in that joy rather than the mundane of the week. But rather than being run down and just trying to get by, rather than just, just coasting. But when we're living in the gospel presence, it's completely different. Where we're understanding the salvation that we've received, we're understanding the consequence of not going as we are called. You know, when we talk about identity, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about sharing the gospel message, I find it interesting that our name is Harvest Alliance Church. But why do we have that name? Names are important. Words are important. What is the type of soil that we're cultivating here? Do we have that name because we're a rural farming community? Or do we have that name because we have a passion to go share the gospel? Again, something to think about. Oh, absolutely. We might need some training in this area. We might need to, to sink in a little bit more to our own salvation and what Christ has done for us. But more so, I think we just need a kick in the pants to get out there and do it. So, I am giving you the freedom to ask me who I have shared the gospel with, who I am discipling. I don't count... I don't count this as sharing the gospel, even though I do. I need to lead by example and be out there talking to my neighbors, to be out there talking to that waitress in the restaurant, to be planting seeds, to be watering, to be harvesting. So I give you that permission to ask me, to come alongside me. Again, not as judgment, but as encouragement as unity and, and unified brothers and sisters in Christ moving towards that same goal of advancing the kingdom forward, bringing people into the kingdom to glorify God. Because again, it all goes back to Christ. Not to me, not to you guys, but to Christ. He gets the glory and he gets magnified. Many times we need to, we need to check our hearts and how we're approaching some of these things because oftentimes we'll, we'll We'll try to remember our salvation. We'll try to remember our sinfulness and we get stuck there and like, okay, I'm saved. I'm good. And then we just leave it there. And we stay in that area of comfort rather than thinking about those people that do need to hear the gospel message. Praying continually 
for those people. Because it's the gospel message where we receive Christ and Christ transforms us. He doesn't keep us in those same patterns. He doesn't keep us in those same habits. He changes us inside and out. And if you're saying, you know what, I can't do this. Perfect. Because Christ can in you and through you. And then he gets the glory and not you. I've told you many times, I, this is not the profession that I would choose. I am an introvert to the extreme. But that means Christ through my weaknesses can be magnified. And that's the beauty of it because it's for the kingdom. It's not for me. We never want to diminish or underestimate the power of the gospel and the power of God to work in us and through us to advance his kingdom. Many times we can fall into this rut of thinking that we're going to church or we're coming to church and we forget the fact that we are the church, that we are his hands and feet and that we have purpose and we need to be moving for his kingdom. So looking at verses five and the end of verse six, you see it kind of spelled out there. It says that we see the word of truth, the gospel, that they heard and understood. And then it is the grace of God in truth. The gospel is about the grace of God. It is the good news, and it's good news for the whole world. God's truth, his grace is sprinkled throughout all of scriptures. His great love is shown to us in the person of Jesus who goes to the cross to pay for our sins, dying a death that we deserved because the wages of sin is death. And he was sinless, he was perfect, so the death that he died was unjustified and death could not hold him, so he rose again on the third day. He trades our sinfulness for his righteousness. It's something that we can't fathom because grace, remember, is something that is given that's not deserved. And we think in our sensibilities that that's not right. We have to work for it. We have to do something to repay this. It can't be so simple that I just accept it. But our sinfulness, our lostness should break us because that's what the gospel message does. It shows you that you are separated from the Father for eternity but for Christ who steps in and takes your place. It is such a blessing to think about the goodness of God even through hard times. It's a humbling gift to accept. This gospel message is something that's that Epaphras taught to these people, that he shared with these people. You know, you think about those who shared the gospel of truth with you in your life. Are you thankful for them? Are you grateful for them? You think about what God tells Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, go, be a blessing to the nations. Then in the Great Commission, go, make disciples in all nations telling them everything that I did for you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and know that I will be with you until the end of the age. To be a blessing in the same way as a believer is sharing the gospel message. There's so many passages that we can go to to help us understand that. 
You can go to Hebrews 10. Uh, Hebrews is just a beautiful book in terms of showing the, the gospel message being laid out and really explaining in detail why Jesus is different than the sacrifices that the priests were doing. But in chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those are being sanctified. You can read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. You can go to John 3.16. You can go to Isaiah 53. You can go to so many different passages to see the truth of the gospel being laid out. It transforms us into the image of Christ. And as Epaphras was transformed, he becomes ministers of that same gospel. Is he, he becomes a servant of Christ. And he's informing Paul and the others of the Colossians' love in the Spirit. He tells them of the issues that they are currently facing. He becomes an intercessor on their behalf, an advocate on their behalf. You know, one of the, the beautiful things about being a pastor is that I get to be an intercessor in many of your lives through the hardest times. One of the hardest challenges of being a pastor is I get to be an intercessor in some of your hardest times. But when you think about family, when you think about unity, that's what you do. You don't just say, okay, this is too hard, I'm gone. You're on your own. You stick with one another through the hard times and you draw each other closer to the Father, closer to the truth. You get to walk through life with people. And last week, um, I had a discipling or discipleship type conference that I went to, a little seminar, and they talked about metrics, things that we measure at our church. You know, we, we count attendance, we count baptisms, we count conversions, we count finances, all of those types of things, which can be good. But you know, when you're trying to affect change, you have to affect you have to effectively change what you're measuring. You have to, to change how you're speaking, how you're identifying different things. Measuring things like making known to us your love in the Spirit. How do you measure that? It's a lot easier to count heads, a lot easier to count dollars. Again, similar to sharing who we shared the gospel with, I think being able to be identified as brothers and sisters in Christ who are known for their love in the spirit, where we're sharing stories more so revolved around that, who we're discipling, who we're sharing with, rather than, yep, 56 people were in church today, a little bit down, vacations are still going on, we'll get up there again. You know, when I first came here, we had about 60 people. Now we average around 85. But in the six years, I would say maybe two people were new converts. Everybody else is just church hopping. 
going back to metrics, going back to our identity as harvest. If we wrestle with that name, and whether or not the name is because we're in a rural community or because we want to share the gospel and be people that do that, what do those metrics say? Again, they're important, but at the same time, we have to change the language and what we're looking towards. Are we looking to be a church that is comfortable? That is our preferences? Or are we going to be a people that chases after what Jesus chases after? Because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. He's concerned with people. He's concerned with their well-being, their salvation. So as a church body, personally, I want to thank each and every one of you for the impact that you have had in my life, whether that's been a big or small impact, whether we always get along or whether there's conflict. Each and every one of you in your own ways have drawn me closer to the Lord in my faith. I want to thank you for that because I need that accountability. I need that push as a fellow brother in Christ. I need us to continue to, to come alongside and lift each other up when we are weak and drag us back to the cross. And I want to encourage you to do more of those types of things in your life, to equip one another, to equip one another so that we can all know uh, the spiritual knowledge or spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that we can walk worthily before our Lord. So that we can say to one another with free hearts, may the God of peace and grace be with you. Knowing that it's not just a, a vague statement or a nicety, but something from our core as, identity, as we identify as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we continue to drive a little bit deeper to go into purpose, to understand who we are in Christ, Obviously, the goal is that we would impact those around us because as a church, again, we are the most joyful people and we have the most cause to be rejoicing for the salvation that we've received. And we have a message that needs to be heard by those around us. So I encourage you this week to take a couple steps of faith, pray for those opportunities where you can share the gospel message to share the faith that you have or your testimony in different situations. You know, I think it's, it'd be like next week would be two or three year anniversary of when I had you guys share your testimonies with one another. Maybe we should do that again. It's always a fun day. But for now, let's just close in prayer. Father, as we study your word and and just think of the identity that we have in you, Lord. We are so grateful and so thankful for the salvation that we have received. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us to not, to not squander that hope that we have, to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is inside us, and that hope is you. Lord, I am so thankful for the cross and the salvation that you have given us. And I pray for each one here today. Lord, doesn't matter what their age is, doesn't matter their spiritual maturity, Lord, but they, they would be drawn closer to you. Help us to be a people who encourages, 
that type of growth, who encourages uh, spiritual conversations, that encourages discipleship to be happening on all levels. Lord, somebody that we are learning from, somebody that we are walking right alongside, and somebody that we're bringing along behind us up in the faith. Lord, what a joy it is to serve you each and every day in the different capacities that we each have, whether that's in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Lord, what a joy it is to be called uh, light. And I just pray that our lights would shine for you this week. I pray for those opportunities and that you would give us eyes to see those and just the prompting and the, the conviction of the Spirit of when to speak up. Give us the words to say and just give us the strength and the comfort of your Spirit to know that, that it is through you that we can do these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand? <clears throat>